I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to Dynasty As They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host and loving, adoring husband, Kyler K. Jafari. I, I am Adam Carrington, son of Alexis (laughs) Colby Carrington. Whoa, we're quoting the episode right off the bat? This was a very quotable episode. Well, I don't know how quotable it was. That was certainly quotable. And that's sort of the beginning and the end of this episode for me. I'm surprised that you're able to form words because (laughs) prior to... My tongue is like numb right now, literally. I'm not even making that up. What cat got your tongue? What has no, your tongue? Jalapeno got my tongue. Yeah, you made some delicious Bloody Marys uh, for breakfast this morning, and you included a jalapeno garnish, which you decided <laughs> we'll have a sensible dinner, <laughs> which you decided to eat. I don't know why a raw jalapeno. Well, I didn't eat the whole thing. It was just the garnish that I made out of it. But uh, really, I guess it's true. Jalapenos are hot. Dirt. <laughs> Today Spoiler I alert. I mean, when you don't cook them, they are hotter. I thought you knew that. I, I just, I love spicy, so I went for it and didn't know what I was getting I into. I know. Well, we're both spicy. Just like Alexis. We're both spicy boys, so I'm surprised that it is affecting you throughout the day today. Well, it it does make me miss, you know, obviously everybody misses going out to a restaurant for a meal, but there's certain places that were already gone well before all of this. And I don't know how spicy it was, but you know, it was it was our favorite little Mexican joint down the street from our first apartment. In West Hollywood. In West Hollywood. And I don't even know that the food That's was that right, good. boys. We lived in West Hollywood. Ugh, what a cliche. <laughs> uh but it wasn't even like the food was great. It was about the atmosphere and the theatrics of it all. We we need to pay remembrance to Gardens of Taxco or R.I.P. I don't know how you pronounce that name, but that's probably how everybody in L.A. said it. It was something about like it wasn't terribly expensive, but you got this like amazing experience and it was it really was dinner theater it was and it was like you would get this prefix menu but you could choose your own adventure there were like two or three different versions and of the pretty groundbreaking and because they didn't have paper menus or any kind of menus they were spoken menus i mean if there not was no, theatrically acted menus. no qr code but yeah they just told you what they had not hot 
spicy yeah the enchiladas were not hot they were spicy like it was as if they were born in the sauce, sauce. Yeah. yeah, I miss I miss those <laughs> kinds of things. I mean, I don't know. That's that's like almost from another world. That's what LA has turned into. Well, it's and that's going like to be that happening anymore. as we continue on. A lot of these restaurants aren't able I know, to cut it. It's sad it. because what's going on right now, things like that that were barely hanging on by a thread are definitely going to be gone or mostly anyway. Yeah, the restaurant industry is already so hard to maintain in. And this is just put a lot. I mean, a, a lot of places I already know are out of business. And well, I think it's just going to continue to happen. I think just... Just in closing on Gardens of Tax Code, there's no better restaurant review than as we were leaving and sitting in the waiting area while somebody paid our bill. This older woman in a jumpsuit is just saying, oh, this is such an exciting experience. I can't wait to take my boyfriend here. And then she says, I need to have a big fat cigarette. <laughs> like, I don't I know, know. It's it, one of these moments it, that's like stuck with me forever. And like, I know not what like you're thinking, listeners. By. No, it was not Liza. We're not going to name drop here, but she definitely was in the vein of Liza for sure. But yeah, this place is so campy. I mean, we probably should have done this during our Acapulco episode, but anyway, I'm sure they're going to go back to Acapulco at some point, right? <sighs> Maybe I, I feel like they're starting to run out of exotic locations, so possibly it'll starting go back to into run the rotation. out. Well, I know they go to space at some point. I know a lot of some of the bigger storylines just because they sort of eclipsed the show. For now, for those of you who are that are new listeners, the way this kind of works is I've never seen Dynasty before, so we're watching it. We're going through all nine seasons together. Kyler has seen most of the episodes, so obviously, like I know a lot of things that happen on the show, even though I haven't told totally watched it like you know i know at this point jack coleman is taking over the role of stephen carrington and um james hong we mentioned him in last week's episode plays the plastic surgeon that transforms stephen carrington from al corley into jack coleman and he's in the news this week daniel day kim who uh was on lost and uh that like hawaii 50 reboot anyway he started a uh online petition fundraiser to get james hong a star on the walk of fame anyway i tweeted this out i said hey i am here for it please give james hong a star on the hollywood walk of fame and don't forget that he transformed al corley into jack coleman and jack coleman responded on twitter saying simply james hong rocks oh it felt more enthusiastic it felt more like a james hong rock james hong rocks wasn't yeah. it like all caps with four exclamation points or something no correct proper name capitalization one exclamation point oh it's a legend in my own mind but what that now means is according to my math at least two dynasty cast members know of the existence of this podcast unless he just wrote james hong rocks they know of it they don't listen or approve yeah jack coleman if you're subscribed and you're listening to this please uh tweet me you might want to turn it off because after the next episode i don't know i don't know how i'm gonna rut row <laughs> when the bandages come off yeah <laughs> all right well we've been talking enough about this episode i think we take a break and then, and then actually talk really about get the episode mm-hmm 
Darlings, today's installment of Dynasty as They Want to Be is brought to you by Audible. Kyler, you gotta get on Audible. They're offering a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash nasty podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y podcast to browse their unrivaled selection of audio programs. I've been currently listening to the September 1983 issue of Southern Living. <laughs> I don't think that's available on Audible. But oh, yes, they've got everything. It baby. might be. I mean, they do have a lot. I know they have Diane Carroll's autobiography. They have some Jackie Collins books on there. You got to go check it out for yourself and just see what they have and what they don't have. Kyler, to get started, simply go to audibletrial.com slash nasty podcast or text nasty podcast to 500-500. N-A-S-T-Y. <laughs> Welcome back. Well, this episode, I initially, the first couple times I watched it, I kind of wrote off the first two acts, and it was kind of just all about the ending scene for me. Mm-hmm. It ends with some drama. And it still kind of is about the ending scene. I mean, but that's a good way to kind of cap off what I now realize is a thoroughly good episode, although it maybe is not as good as them, some things that come before and after. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, is aesthetically speaking, this has got everything. It's got wife beating. It's got <laughs> paint-fueled psychosis. It's got Cain and Abel destruction. It's got overwrought incidental music. I mean, what else could you ask for? And this is like why people thought this was a trashy show and still watched it anyway and secretly loved it at the time. And now, of course, we could just overtly love it, I guess. It has everything. It has bumblebee jewelry, John James shirtless, double babies. <laughs> double babies? It's that thing where there's one nursery and there's two babies in the nursery and one of them's teething and crying the whole goddamn episode. I don't know what was more annoying. John James crying the whole episode and his... Whoa continued paint-fueled rage what I was gonna the teething baby. Yeah, what I was going to say about this episode ultimately boils down to two exciting and very pointed topics, which is primitive fuchsia <laughs> and teething. My new drag name. Teething. Uh, there's so much teething going on, but you know who's yeah, the real cranky the baby? Adults is are Jeff. Teething. Jeff is a cranky fucking baby. Oh, yeah. He's the biggest baby of them all. He's like a bigger baby than Blake now. And I have thoughts on that but anyway we shall continue but my what i think really makes this episode is the primitive fuchsia of it all I used to like to write short stories about knights on white horses and dedicate it to jeff and the first time you ever wore makeup i think you were 12 and and jeff's little league game was rained out so we finally came to one of steven's birthday parties I was 11, and it was only lipstick, but it was the most grotesque shade you've ever seen. Sort of this primitive fuchsia. Oh. <laughs> it is Kirby's awakening as a woman, as psychotherapized by Crystal. This is like maybe the one thing she's been given to do in the last three episodes. Like, because mostly she they just... had one scene together. You're reading a lot into this. Please explain. Well, I was about to until you rudely interrupted me. So Crystal like Wah. basically just Wah. runs around in you know negligees and flowing nightgowns and brings the baby on like a tour of the house to admire 
are the priceless objects. And It's a Ming. Babies got to learn early about their Ming vases so they don't knock them over. Yeah, this is like some NK Ultra. Like, she's going <laughs> to take the baby to rich people Illuminati town. But anyhow. Well, did you also, sorry to interrupt you again, but that's kind of what we do here. Did you notice we were introduced to a new room in the Carrington Mansion that we had not previously seen before? Well, I was on, I was, I was on a discursive thought experiment there but sure yes we went to the solarium discurse away they've got budget now they're adding budget and for 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 fake plants for the first time it's not being spent on clothes that we have a new room it's the solarium i don't know how that differs from the conservatory right it's not a conservatory it's a solarium if you've played clue like you would like have to wonder i thought a conservatory was a place for plants but no conservatory can actually be a place for only like eight rooms in clue Uh, carrington mansion has over 40 we learned 43 on last count i don't recall but yeah dr nick toscani name checked it i will have to go back and look at our notes but there's way more rooms and so now it makes sense to me why the conservatory doesn't have plants because they have a solarium well because this is the kind of conservatory that's basically a sitting room with a piano in it so it's for smoke musical instruments and brandy and smoking i I think you're not supposed to smoke in the library you can smoke in the conservatory and the solarium, you can just sniff. Well, it's that very like Victorian idea that you had a smoking room so that you wouldn't stink up the whole house. Like, mm-hmm. Just one room for the gents to smoke their horse turds. Anyway, anyway, so Alexis with the presence in the solarium. I mean, we're wrapping presents in mylar, shiny foil things. Love. More superficiality. I think the show is finally just acknowledging how superficial it's about to become. I mean, Alexis says herself she doesn't want to open one of the presents because she'll break a nail. Right. Even, I don't know, I think Crystal kind of has a quip to return on that. And I don't know. It's a valid concern if you ask me. It's basically like everybody kind of like subtextually acknowledging how this is really just becoming about clothes and sets and the cinematography. But meanwhile, the story writing is kind of thin. Oh, I I disagree about that because I think we get a huge revelation in this episode. And that's really what Adam Carrington, I guess, has been working towards with this damn makeover. Well, that's actually the only and that's why I thought the third act originally was the only thing that was a saving grace of this episode and then having watched it three or four more times it kind of all is a slow build but i think adam's thread is kind of the only real true storytelling that's salvageable in this episode and that's not in a bad way it's just kind of is yeah i mean there's no i agree there's not like real big payoffs in this episode but we're definitely moving things along. We're not getting stagnant. A lot of these storylines are developing. But yeah, I think for the most part, this episode is John James running around screaming, whining at the children, at Fallon, at Mark Jennings, even at Crystal. He has a nasty thing to say to her at the breakfast table. Well, you just said it, Crystal. I collapsed from overwork. Burnout, isn't that what it's called? Have you been back to see Dr. Winfield since that night? Have you? My God, what is it with you women? My son is sick and you tell me he doesn't need a doctor. I'm not sick and you tell me I do. Doesn't anybody in this house think straight anymore? I think that his real madness is not the paint in the walls. It's he's been, I don't know. Conditioned. Truthed. He's decided that he's 
a Republican now, and uh, he's basically become a wife beater. And he he says to uh, okay, are we gonna just go straight to the wife beating? You've mentioned it a couple times here. I don't think that was really him. I think he's been emotionally distressed. His brain has chemistry has been altered. Well, I think he's been watching a lot of Fox News, and he. <laughs> Jeff can't handle working mom power. Well, he is hanging out. He's got a real issue with Fallon. And he goes total Republican. And she's not a bad wife and mother. He says that she is. It is true that he's always... But she's a bad wife and mother for old paradigms. Right. He always has had an issue with her working. Yeah. Like, from the very... And this is a struggle we go through in the 80s. Like, you Mm. know, women are no longer content to be housewives. But this is what Jeff's going through. He can't handle it. Which normally we would think, oh, he's a you know, uh, a woke, yuppie. Oh, I would have never guy, described but... him as woke. Are you fucking okay, kidding well, me? Scrap all of that. I think what you're saying, and I'm starting to come over to your side, is that these feelings are, have always been there simmering underneath. And the paint fumes have just dissipated. He was fine to put up with it for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then one day he listened to a little too much AM talk radio and his Mercedes 420 SEL. And he snapped. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Mark Jennings is more woke than Jeff Colby. We have another instance of Mark Jennings coming to save the day right after he's done having some more afternoon delight with Alexis, which I do appreciate. This is a purely sexual relationship between the two of them. They've firmly established that now well mark's been busy this whole episode casting pearls before swine i mean fallon doesn't want his jewels from jensen's and really neither does alexis i mean she humors him with his his little insect pendant (laughs) and we get a nice little bit of like weird stunt hands i mean maybe it was their hands but it was bad hand acting yeah hand i think it has to do with how big the cameras were back then but anytime there's like a can a hand reaching from out of frame it always looks it just looks uncanny yeah wooden yeah yeah it looks like it's mannequin hands or something but yeah they have a purely sexual relationship and have some more champagne upstairs and then he goes back to his place at la mirage and notices jeff you know strangling fallon let go of me say it i'm fallon carrington colby and i'm no good let go of me say it my brother Stephen was right when he called me a million dollar tramp because i am one i'm rotten as a person and i'm worse as a wife and a mother say it stop it say it so we have to talk about this goddamn intro at La Mirage. There's always this establishing shot. I know. We laugh about it every week. We laugh about it every week, and we it. laughed about it this time, too. So it's... basically what we've noticed, and maybe you have, too, is that they keep using the same B-roll, the exterior shot of La Mirage, and there is a woman wearing an orange Diane von Furstenberg wrap yeah, dress. it's like a sarong wrap dress thing. And then there's another couple on their way to the tennis court, and they're always there. Always walking. And it's always like the same 1978 brown Cadillac Coupe de Ville pulling up. And considering I mean, that like 35% of the episodes take place at La Mirage, you we're seeing this shot over and over think. again. They could have at least like spliced in. Like but this three or all four reinforces more. my theory about La Mirage's purgatory because it's you just go back and around in circles and it never really evolves and it's always the same thing. And I just, I love that feeling of being trapped there. Okay, David Lynch. Let's talk about the baby, specifically Danny and what's going on with 
the new parents. Isn't this really bizarre that the grandparents are adopting the baby? And it seems like they're kind of treating it like their own. Well, I'm skeeved out. This is this is my own sort of theory is that we're we're all being set up for a bunch of imposters and the the main one certainly right now is Stephen Carrington. And now we've got parents who are imposters to the baby. Well, and the baby could be Surrogacy. an imposter too cuz I still haven't seen a DNA test on that one, but whatever. You want to see it ever see? Yeah, I guess there's going to be complications with the Carringtons adopting Danny Sammy Joe's baby because the divorce between Crystal and Or as Mark, Alexis refers to her, that garbage niece. Yes, garbage niece. <laughs> hashtag primitive fuchsia. Hashtag garbage niece. But yeah, she, I guess like this divorce still isn't settled. They made it seem like it was going to be so easy. So now I feel like they're just stringing it along to complicate matters. We have like the fake marriage of Blake and Crystal, which I feel like it's been fake all along. So that's fine. I mean, the thing about Crystal is she doesn't really ever have anything to do, and that's why I thought it was interesting. That <laughs> that's why she's wearing negligees at eleven thirty at eleven in the, the a.m. <laughs> but you know, Blake's calling her up for a lunch date. Like we all know that at this time, this is pre-COVID. You sh- you should be full dressed by 8 a.m. because you've got to set an example for the help. I mean, God forbid they serve your grapefruit to you and you're not in a suit and tie. Now, going back to the solarium, this is where Alexis learns that they're adopting the baby. At least that's the plan because of all of this botched Mexican divorce procedures. But uh, Alexis has like a secret witch power or something. It seems like she materializes. She goes straight from the solarium to to the top of Denver Carrington and confronts Blake and she's pissed. And again, I don't think she wants the baby. She just wants to one-up Blake. I I like that she's wearing yellow in that scene because it really suggests lightning and like, I'm going to take action and I'm a powerful, pissed-off woman. Yeah, it's definitely an energetic color, that's for sure. What was that thing that Blake was eating at La Mirage for lunch with I think Crystal. it was a chili chili cheese dog. I thought it was a Dodger dog or yeah, something like that or maybe it was a Polska kielbasa with lots and lots of hot stuff. The food on the show always looks so disgusting. I mean, Crystal's just eating a salad, I think, but like all the vegetables have those weird cuts in them, so you know somebody's fingers have just been all over it as they sculpt her cucumber. I mean, maybe it's like a stick of garlic bread or something. I don't know. Looks like a big old wiener inside of a bun. The topic, if you move on from teething, because everybody's teething, especially Jeff, the whole freaking episode uh, which is just to say that they're all just cranky and not really sure why the topic is primitive fuchsia the password is primitive fuchsia coming to the stage primitive fuchsia primitive fuchsia is the color of my true love's hair primitive fuchsia shante you stay (laughs) so anyway i love that kirby has this sort of sit down and wake up moment with crystal in the nursery with the primitive fuchsia lipstick that she you know crystal's like tell me about the first time that you ever wore makeup well i just love that crystal's calling kirby out she's like yeah you want to fuck jeff yeah, you want to yeah exactly everybody I mean, knows you want to fuck jeff we already knew this from at least 12 episodes back we've been knowing oh my this, god as soon as she got out of the taxi cab the first thing Paris, she I did she was like go sniff jeff's jab. panties yeah, yeah. 
So the thing is, and then she seems so demure, like, oh, you know about that? She compares her first time wearing makeup, primitive fuchsia. So that's, that's an interesting usage because primitive kind of refers to primordial, the first time, the, the evolution from the things which begat. So it's this sort of like Greek tragedy device. And I love it because it comes back in the end scene with Alexis. She's in fuchsia lipstick, which Kirby had described earlier. In oh, reference I didn't to notice that. Discovering her own womanhood. And I don't, I, I don't think that the writers and the costume or makeup department got together and, you know, coerced. I don't this. know. They were thinking about but a lot of things and maybe telling that I, story. I don't want to give them too much credit, though, because I feel like this show is a little bit slipshod. It. Give if them you put the, the show credit. under the microscope, it gets a, a bit uh, off. But but if you pull back, sure, maybe. And I love Alexis just being psychologically blackmailed by Adam. And I think this is finally like Adam getting his due because up to this point, he's a just sort of, I wouldn't say one note, but he hadn't really been fully evolved. Yeah. And now I'm like fully liking this character. Think of it, mother. How would it feel to run the Colby Empire from a prison cell? God, I don't believe what I'm hearing. What kind of a monster are you? I... I am Adam Carrington, son of Alexis Carrington Colby. Consider the options, Mother. You don't have any. I do like that we're given a plan here. He was thinking beyond just trying to piss off Jeff with this poisonous paint, that there was a grand plan. And I was shocked that he actually let Alexis in on it. But I think that's just the nature of storytelling. So I think it just, that little piece starts with Adam going around to Blake's office, to Jeff's office, and then winding up at Alexis's penthouse. It's all of his plotting and shit stirring. And Alexis has done this already. We've seen her do this in this show, but she doesn't always, it doesn't always work out for her. Mm-hmm. It, it blows up in her face as much as it does not. Well, and she usually has three or four plans going on at the same yeah, time. Yeah, she, she likes where to spin plays. it seems like yeah, Adam Adam's been focused. It's yeah. focused. Other than, you know, when he raped Kirby, he's been completely focused on this. Well, and I think that's probably part of the larger reason why it's very easy to dislike him, at least in the beginning here, because that's not very palatable. But here's the thing. In the end, Adam here is not like Alexis because he is getting what he sought out to achieve. I think the reason that he actually reveals to Alexis, I think he had his hand called early. I think he was already plotting this in the background, but I think he was forced to reveal to Alexis because... Yeah, because she seems set that she was going to take over that office. Well, it wasn't even just take over the office. It's that he can't let her go into that room because he knows that she's going to be under the influence of the pain fumes. Oh, yeah, and she's like the biggest... She's the queen on the chessboard, so he can't lose her to dementia or whatever. Right. One is pressed to answer, is he good or bad? And obviously, he's a little bit of both, probably mostly bad. I don't know, but that's kind of why we like this character, I think. Well, but a good he's not going to let his mother endanger her mental health. Right. And so that's why he's kind of forced to reveal this. But I think he was already kind of going to back her into a corner at some point. This is just how it turned out a good villain has to have shades of gray right and they have to have weaknesses they have to have things they actually care about otherwise it's one note and it's boring and 
Between his mother and his father, who he just met for the first time earlier this year, he loves his mom because his dad has kind of done him dirty and treated him like shit and didn't believe him. And his mom was there for them and put him in charge at the top of this huge oil company, which... Did you notice we got a little taste of letterhead on the memo that Adam yeah, sent? Yeah, that Colby Co. letterhead was fire. Oh, my God. That logo, would it's iconic. But did you notice that the address for... You could for, wear that today. <laughs> the address for Colby Co. is 100 Colby Plaza. So they have their own oh, they bought it freaking all up. plaza. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they bought off a local councilman or something. Yeah, well, so it makes sense why they have a whole spinoff named after them, but, you know. TBD on that. I think this episode did a lot of justice for Adam, even though his crazy plot was revealed. I think he's a more fleshed out villain. I think he's going places. And I think it did something for Alexis, too, because we see where her line is. She's not going to endanger people, although... She did cause Crystal to have a miscarriage when she fired that gun. Oh, we've forgotten about that. This is soap opera logic. I guess unborn babies are are fair game, but... 30-something-year-old young oil well, execs or not. Otherwise, you have a baby that's teething. I mean, you know, either way, there's problems. So I, I just think that in the end, this this final scene is... Operatic. It is opera. It's not even soap operatic. It is opera. It, it is functioning off Greek tragedy. We are telling stories in the fewest words possible and the most images available. I love it. I love it. The, it she was definitely in... very inspired for them to start on a close up. You know, the whole scene mm-hmm. between the three of them that were up in the penthouse had been played pretty closely, which it normally is. And then you get that last shot close on Alexis. And then it kind of zooms out when she realizes that her oldest son is a fucking psycho and is trying She's to create a monster these two companies. Yeah, yeah. It's Frankenstein really. Yeah. It's Alexis's monster. And you know, there she is in her fuchsia lipstick as she plops defeated onto the couch and the credits roll. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, this this episode's a little bit strange, but I think it bears a lot of fruit, and I'm I'm there for it. Yeah, don't get mad about it. Get bout about it. Now it's time for the part of the episode where we choose our lyrics of the week. Is there a, really a choice here? There was one. I know which one you're really going for. Really amazing. I know which outfit. one you're going for. Just say it. No, you say it Man, if you're reading my it. mind. Just say it. No, say if you think you know, you say it. No, because I actually I have the one that you don't have, so you just say yours. Obviously, it's the yellow and black that Alexis is buzzing around Denver in. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black, black and, yellow. and yellow. Yeah, you know what it is. Yeah, I mean the 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 silhouette, the fabrics, the cut isn't that great, but just the fact that she's bold enough to wear black and yellow with a little fur too. Well, this is a journey into you know proper 1980s we're finally getting to a moment here in this show that's presaging how 80s everything was about to become oh honey yellow was a primary color remember last week nobody was wearing primary colors in the 70s right Mm -hmm. at least not like women in their and framed with black you know black is the accent color Uh, black and white were so important in the 80s because they offset all the primary colors and you're right what is this weird black foxtails 
thing that she's wearing. I, does, does that even come in black? Did they dye it black? I don't know. Nolan Miller's got a $20,000 check every episode to write for this stuff, so fine. Uh, yeah, and, you know, again, it's the hat. She's not wearing primitive fuchsia. She's wearing red uh, lipstick and, you know, proper accented eye makeup so it's all a total look again and it's super 1980s but it's a little bit ahead of its time i mean at this point the country's still a little bit in a recession so she Whoa. went to bergdorf's and alexis carrington colby is not in a recession she don't care yeah. yeah well my my look of the week uh and it's a little bit for cultural reasons and a little bit for aesthetic reasons but it's most certainly pamela sue martin in the southwestern dress oh, like yeah. with the the teal blouse and the camel colored suede another selection suede from the skirt. stevie nicks collection it, it's a little bit stevie it was a little bit colorful for stevie nicks though i think stevie nicks sticks to her palette you know but it is this i remember my mother like when i when i was like we had this coffee table book called southwest style i think and it was that was very much a young young ish way to decorate and here fallon's bringing it like she's wearing it it's all just like this very southwest turquoise and silver and feathers and beads kind of look and it's this is all how fallon like did her own thing fashion wise but a lot of that of course is her age but some of it too is that i think that is the character's perspective so i mean i like i i appreciate that there's more of a perspective but i wish it was explained Maybe she went to college at ASU or she spent a summer in Sedona or something, but it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And then it clashes with everything that the older ladies on the show are wearing. And then like sometimes in this episode, she has that when she's wearing that red outfit that she gets choked in, um, not in a good way. It seems like, you know, maybe her mom bought her that or something. So I don't know. Her fashion sense is always all over the place to me yeah that's that's why it's you know it's a troubling look but i think it it's it says something very different from the rest of the show and i think it's an important thing to call out because that whole southwestern idea was so prevalent later in the 80s and you know again this is kind of ahead of it well look at least she's not wearing a negligee at 11 30 a.m on a weekday Well, that's another edition of Dynasty as They Want to Be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me. You know, you really are a million-dollar tramp. My name is Victoria Winters. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong show. If you want to follow along with us between episodes, go to any social media account and follow Nasty Podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y podcast dynasty is like a sports term now so that's why we don't have it in our title we're just nasty we're so nasty and we have a patreon if you want access to ad free episodes exclusive bonus episodes and other polls and fun content go to patreon.com slash nasty podcast kyler it's always good to see you martini okay
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.